You're listening to The Wildest Night in Vancouver, a podcast reliving the history, trauma, and legacy of the 1907 anti-Asian Vancouver riots. Produced by the students of History 271 at the University of British Columbia. Welcome to the third episode of the Wildest Night Ever Seen in Vancouver podcast. On this episode, we are focusing on the events that took place on September 7th, 1907 in Vancouver. Anti-Asian sentiments that had been spreading along the Pacific coast of North America culminated in a riot in downtown Vancouver that day. The riot started as an anti-Oriental parade, which was to take place prior to the opening of the Oriental Exclusion League meeting in City Hall. Today we welcome Yudakichi Kawasaki, the founder of the Kawasaki Biscuit Manufacturing Company, who was present on the day of the riot. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I always think it's an incredibly important thing to further discuss this event and see how it's still relevant in our society today. So tell us a little about yourself. All right, so it all kind of began when I moved from Japan. I、um, then went on to found a company with my brother.、Uh, that that sort of began in 1904 to 1905. So we had originally just wanted to expand the company in sort of a large chain of grocery stores. We were involved in basically selling groceries,、uh, stationery, cigars, and tobacco, alongside obviously biscuits. We were trying to sort of diversify our store because we were also trying to include English speakers as much as possible. We never had any signs or advertisements that only, you know, contained Japanese characters or any cultural motifs. We tried to basically integrate into the society and not exclude anyone. And then the 545 site is the fourth branch of our sort of、uh, chain of stores. Oh yes, I noticed that your name appears in the inhabitant of 545 Powell Street in the 1908 directory for Vancouver.、Uh, this suggests that you're successful, so that you could at least afford、uh, your own private living space. Well, of course, the、uh, Asian community was actually doing really well there. We were、um, quite affluent, to be honest, and well, in relative terms. Uh, we were leading in many like primary productive industries, and I actually seem to recall that the Japanese fishermen had held about 20% of all the licenses during that time, which I think is pretty extraordinary. So, can you tell me about the events of September 7th, 1907? Sure. I、uh, frankly will always remember how those days unfolded. So it sort of all kind of began when I first heard about how the Asiatic Exclusion League had formed,、um, and honestly, that's. Kind of obviously why my、uh, uneasy feelings started to sort of come at that point.、Um, I already felt very targeted as a Japanese person,、um, and basically that that league had originally formed because they were concerned with the presence of poorly paid Chinese workers,、um, and they were basically just upset about the immigration of Asians. And、uh, the word was that more and more Asians were coming, and there was just this building fear of that. I then. Initially, sort of saw the protesters on that day march their way through the streets, and they were carrying banners that said things like "Keep Canada White" and "Stop the Yellow Peril,"、um, as well as singing "Rule Britannia," which are obviously, in that context, well, the first two very clearly、um, incredibly offensive and targeting Asian the Asian community, and、um, naturally, it made me feel very nervous. Not only me, but also my family members and all of my friends. I remember it was. Around seven o'clock, when a marshal organized the procession, there were around, I'd say, eight hundred people at first, which had already really intimidated me. 
but eventually it built up to possibly several thousands of people singing the exact same song. It frankly terrified me. In front of the city hall, the, the crowd had gathered and uh, wedged into a mass for some time completely stopping all sort of traffic on the street. And here is the point at which an effigy of the lieutenant governor was burned and the howls of the crowd and the sort of waving of, of a thousand small white banners that labeled for white Canada had really manifested the incredible xenophobia that was taking place here. And it, it made our, our oppression incredibly obvious to us. And it was this, the first time I had really been able to visualize that in such a, such a horrific and like, honestly, it was a disturbing sight for me personally. So I also remember how the four hours that preceded the rioting, it had sort of just initially taken place with the breaking of windows and the looting of Asian businesses. Um, the crowd had initially just gone to the Chinatown areas. It sort of just began, they, they would throw a rock. Hundreds of windows were broken in that community. But it was sort of just like the beginning, for us at least. We hadn't originally believed that it would, it would move further to uh, Japantown. But that did eventually happen when they basically moved towards our community. It was a little different though, because it became physical very quickly. Our community wasn't going to basically take this standing down uh, or laying down. And uh, we fought fierce hand-to-hand -hand battles with, the, with uh, the, the protesters. The police were basically utterly unable to cope with the mass struggling, the, the cursing, the shouting, and um, they didn't really do much. But our community definitely also, you know, became enraged at the sight of this, this oppression. We were armed with sticks, clubs, iron bars, revolvers, knives, glass bottles that we shattered. And um, basically the, the mob couldn't really fight the onslaught of knives. Wow, that's an incredible story. Can you tell me about the, the days following the riot? Well, I can certainly say that tensions had been significantly escalated after the event. So yeah, they, they stayed that high for several days or weeks after the event had culminated. Neither our community or the Chinese basically appeared on the streets for days. Uh, the Asian communities were roped off by the police and they remained under martial law for 10 days. So you can tell that whilst the police hadn't really done anything at the time, they were somewhat treating it seriously and, and uh, trying to basically bring back stability and, and protect our community somewhat. The way that we handled this situation was certainly different from the Chinese, however. Whereas they chose to, you know, go out, protect themselves by guns, we decided to arm ourselves with stones, bricks, bottles, and other weapons of that sort of nature. After the riot, my brother and I were just way too scared to even leave the house. We thought that, you know, Canada was a, a relatively peaceful place, but, you know, we'd never expect the, this country to treat its own citizens like this. You, you just sort of felt like, what if it happens again? You know, you felt like it was the beginning of, um, of sort of a, a relentless oppression of our community, which it hadn't been in the way that I thought, but you know, it, it, the, the hatred of it definitely had persisted afterwards. So yeah, I can obviously say that it was uh, an incredibly scary couple of days following that event. There were some follow-up incidents that I can sort of remember right now. The one that really sticks out is an attempted arson of our neighborhood school, which made me think that these people really just didn't even see us as humans, the fact that you could go after children in such a merciless way. And whilst, yeah, no one was killed in the event, which is really a blessing, but a lot of buildings were severely damaged and there were a lot of broken windows and we were just basically economically set back and there's, uh, yeah, it was quite significant for our community. 
So I understand that after the the riots, the government tried to set up uh, some measures to compensate the Japanese people for their losses. Can you tell me uh, what happened and how much you claimed and what you got back? So we had actually just claimed $58 in damage, which back then really impacted us, and it was a significant amount. And what happened after the riots? Did you rebuild your factory and continue your business, or did you uh, move away? Did you feel like you could stay here? What happened? No, after the riot, we really didn't feel like we could stay there, so we just uh, we decided to move to the United States. First, my brother actually just uh, left to uh, Seattle, and I decided to relocate to San Francisco. And um, honestly, the most significant impact of all of it was, I mean, it might be obvious, but it was just, it really heightened the racial tensions that I had already obviously perceived between Asians and those who identified themselves as white or British Canadians. and. The event just showed it in the most crystal clear, you know, black and white way. Basically, Canada and the West as a whole, basically to us at that time, was not welcoming our communities and we just didn't feel safe. We felt like we couldn't even be safe in our own communities where we were as detached as you really could be from from the other, you know, Western communities. And I mean, just speaking as a businessman, it was a, a, quite a hurtful event because I had immigrated to the country, you know, through legal means in the way that that I was meant to, and then ultimately I come here. I, you know, I help the Canadian economy. I open this this successful store, but I'm ultimately discriminated just because of the place that I originally came from. And it wasn't just me; it was also my brother. You know, obviously having family there who's also being discriminated only only worsens that for someone. It was it was painful just because it's not as though this was the only event of significant racism that I had encountered. It was just sort of the one of the 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 ones that showed me that this is sort of what the world is like, and that I have to sort of expect that kind of behavior because uh, you know God knows that I've I've experienced my fair share of racism following this event. It, it certainly wasn't the end. Well, thank you so much for joining me and telling your harrowing story. Uh, I really learned a lot. On the next episode of the Wildest Night in Vancouver podcast, uh, we go into more detail about the aftermath of the riots. Stay tuned. The Wildest Night in Vancouver is produced by students in History 271 at the University of British Columbia, under the direction of Tristan Grunel. This series was sponsored by the UBC Department of History and supported by the Public History Initiative. Special thanks to the UBC Faculty of Arts, ISIT, and 101.9 CITR Campus Radio. Thank you for listening.